the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Anthony DeMello liked to tell the story of two taxidermists who stopped in front of a window in which an owl was on display. So they were looking at something that they were experts in. They immediately began to criticize the way in which it was mounted. Its eyes were not natural, its wings were not in proportion to its head, its feathers were not neatly arranged, and its feet could certainly be improved. When they had finished critiquing the owl, they looked at each other, self-satisfied with their evaluations. But then, suddenly, the old bird slowly turned its head and winked at them. Today in the Gospel, we hear of light and of following. And certainly, Jesus of Nazareth was not the perfect image of what people expected the Savior of the world, the Messiah, to come to be. Many people were waiting for a powerful earthly figure, someone who had strength and armies and wealth behind them. And yet God chose Christ, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, to become incarnate, a carpenter's son, the son of a young woman, Mary, a son that was humble, a man who walked the earth with no great grandeur, except that his love and the light within him drew people immediately to him. I don't know if you've ever been in a totally darkened room and someone lights a candle and how immediately the entire focus is on that little flame. Or if one night you woke up in the middle of the night and it was all darkness and your eyes had to adjust to, to some maybe the moonlight coming through or a patio light that you left on or a bathroom light down the hall, but your eyes had to focus and get used to the dark and just some sliver of light allowed you to see a little better. Or maybe in a power outage, we get those every once in a while here, just reading through the Junior Warden's report, there were two major power outages this past year in which we were left in darkness here at the church. Maybe you've been in a power outage where light from somewhere had to guide you to each other and to safety. Christ, and we focus on this in this epiphany season, was the light for those brothers who saw in him the divinity and the love 
and the power of healing and the power of proclamation and the power of his teaching. They saw the divine light in him and that compelled them immediately in the midst of their daily lives to when he said follow, they did. They did. They got up and they followed. The light in Jesus is not the the dark room little light when our eyes adjust or are focused, but they are the dark night. The light that comes into our dark nights, our dark nights of the soul, where our eyes of faith have to adjust to believe that there is goodness and kindness and tenderness and justice in our world. Peter and Andrew and James and John, they saw that immediately. They saw the light and they followed. There's some research that says that what they would have understood when Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven has come near, how they would have interpreted that in his time was the kingdom of heaven has come near, and what is next? What is next? And for James and John and Andrew and Peter, what was next was to leave everything they had to follow that light and to share that light with a world in desperate need of it. To follow Jesus the invitation or command to follow him is to accompany the love and the light and the justice and the grace of God. To learn from that, to learn from the justice and the light and the grace and the love of God, to respond to it, to imitate it, to be loyal to it, to bond with it, and to abide in it. We can do that in our lives in so many ways, and again, I say this often, sometimes we are handed sort of grand ways that we can point to that light in human history, and sometimes they're just really small gestures that mean a lot to people that you connect with, that you are kind to along the way. So let me tell you one little tiny kind gesture that I received, and it, it's, it's, it's not profound in any way, but it was so important to me at the time. I had family visiting over Christmas, and for some insane reason, I decided that we needed to go. They had visited before, and we hadn't been to the Space Center, the Johnson Space Center, and, and so we went, and it was packed because it was vacation. A couple of the parking turnstiles were down for some reason, so it took us an hour to get into this place, which was just full of people. You could barely move. It just took all day to do everything. It was kind of a nightmare. I waited too long to go find snacks for our return home, and I, I went up to the counter. I had been a little cheap because it's all overpriced. That food is all overpriced. But... Um, and, and I just waited too long. I went up to the counter, and they were closed. 
And I just looked at the man and I said, I have an hour ride home with two hungry teenagers. Please, do you have anything? And I just kind of looked around desperately. And when I looked back, he had filled a tray with french fries. And he said, lady, you need extra, extra fries. It was so loving. And I said, bless you. And he said, bless you. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ here. He did. He said that. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Thank you for those fries. Again, at Christmas, I was privileged to see a gorgeous movie called A Hidden Life. I did not know it was going to be three hours. So towards the end of it, I was like, Okay, these landscapes are beautiful, but we kind of have the idea. And the movie, if some of you might have seen it or not seen it, was about this life of an Austrian farmer during the time of um, Hitler and Nazi Germany. And when the uh, people were, the men, were ordered to um, serve in Hitler's army, and even though all around him were going along with the flow, this young farmer, Franz, I can't pronounce his last name, was a Christian. And he said, can't people see the evil that is around them? Why, why do we just go with what is commanded when we know it is evil that is being done? I will not serve in Hitler's army. And his bishop said, his bishop said, your sacrifice is, won't do anything. Why are you doing this? Your sacrifice will not mean anything. But he knew, he knew that people had said the same thing to Jesus. You will die anonymous on the cross, shamed on the cross. And that was not true. As we know, the power of the resurrection light, the power of the divine light, the power of the grace of God converted the instrument of torture and death into a sign of triumph of God's love and God's grace. The cross became something that we today wear proudly and design in many beautiful ways because it is a symbol of transformation and just enough of the eyes of the soul of Franz were able to be open to that truth that even though he was told he would be lost to history and that his sacrifice would mean nothing his story helped us remember that love, that the better angels of our natures mean something. Help us look at a horrible time in human history and see that people did stand up for each other, even if it cost them their lives. It's that love that brings light into the world. Martin, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote that the Greek language has another word for love. It calls it agape. 
Agape is more than romantic love. Agape is more than friendship. Agape is understanding, redemptive goodwill for all. Agape is an overflowing love, a spontaneous love, which seeks nothing in return. And theologians would say that it is the love of God operating in the human heart. When you rise to love on this level, you love all. Not because you like them, necessarily. Not because their ways appeal to you. Not because they are worthy of you. But you love all because God loves them. And is that, it is that light, it is that light, it is that love, it is that love, that love and light together that give us hope, that allow us to serve in ways large and small in the name of God to transform this world transform our lives to transform each other with our courage and love. Yesterday I preached at the funeral of Norman Kitchell, one of whose family was one of the founding members of Trinity, and I, I used this example. Um, my mother comes during the week to help clean the church, and she goes through every pew and make sure that there are things that need to be in there are in there, and the things that have been left over are thrown out that aren't supposed to be in there. And sometimes she finds offering envelopes. And she gave me this one offering envelope that has the name, address, and amount of the offering. And the name, I'll just tell you the initials, that was written in sort of poor handwriting, and in, in, in pencil was S.D., a man. His address was nowhere, for he was homeless. That's what he wrote in there. And the amount of his offering, the amount of his offering was all my life and my heart and my spirit. What's next for the kingdom of heaven? on earth and in our lives? How will we respond? How will we respond? By continuing to serve the homeless. By continuing to share our french fries when we have extra. <laughs> By continuing to stand on principle and truth in a world that has gone insane from lies and deceit. What is next for our lives of faith is to shine a light that will focus, refocus our lives and help focus each other's lives on how to be more loving, how to like, te like Jesus, teach the principles of kindness and courage. To heal by sitting with and showing up for each other. And proclaiming that in this way, we are saved by God's grace. Amen. Amen.